The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. not find it interesting to a collector of fairy tales. Very well, Mr. Holmes, we will give you something a little more recent. This is the Devon County Chronicle of May the 14th of this year. It is a short account of the facts elicited at the death of Sir Charles Baskerville, which occurred a few days before that date. The relevant passage reads, uh, ah, yes, <clears throat> there is no reason whatever to suspect foul play or to imagine that death could be from any but natural causes. Sir Charles Baskerville was in the habit every night before going to bed of walking down the famous U Alley of Baskerville Hall. The evidence of his servants, the Barrymores, shows that this has been his custom. On the 4th of May, Sir Charles had declared his intention of starting next day for London and had ordered Barrymore to prepare his luggage. Uh, that night he went out as usual for his nocturnal walk, in the course of which he was in the habit of smoking a cigar. He never returned... At twelve o'clock, Barrymore, finding the hall door still open, became alarmed, and lighting a lantern, went in search of his master. The day had been wet, and Sir Charles' footmarks were easily traced down the alley. Halfway down this walk, there is a gate, which leads out onto the moor. The indications were that Sir Charles had stood for some little time here. He then proceeded down the alley, and it was at the far end of it that his body was discovered. No signs of violence were to be discovered upon Sir Charles' person, and though the doctor's evidence pointed to an almost incredible facial distortion, so great that Dr Mortimer <laughs> refused at first to believe that it was indeed his friend and patient who lay before him. It was explained that that is a symptom which is not unusual in cases of dyspnea and death from cardiac exhaustion. This explanation was borne out by the post-mortem examination, which showed long-standing organic disease, and the coroner's jury returned a verdict in accordance with the medical evidence. Well, those are the public facts, Mr. Holmes, in connection with the death of Sir Charles Baskerville. Then let me have the private ones. Within the last few months, it became increasingly plain to me that Sir Charles' nervous system was strained to the breaking point. Taken this legend, which I've read you exceedingly to heart, so much so that nothing would induce him to go out upon the moor at night. And the idea of some ghastly presence constantly haunted him. And on more than one occasion he had asked me whether I had on my medical journeys at night ever seen any strange creature or heard the baying of a hound. It was at my advice that Sir Charles was about to go to London. The constant anxiety in which he lived, however, chimerical, heard the cause of it might be. He was evidently having a serious effect upon his health. Mr. Stapleton, a mutual friend, was of the same opinion. At the last instant came this terrible catastrophe. On the night of Sir Charles' death, Barrymore, the butler who made the discovery, sent Perkins, the groom, on horseback to me, and I was able to reach Baskerville Hall within an hour of the event. I checked and corroborated all the facts which were mentioned at the inquest. I followed the footsteps down the U alley. I saw the spot at the moorgate where he seemed to have waited, and finally... I carefully examined the body, which had not been touched until my arrival. There's certainly no physical injury of any kind. But one false statement was made by Barrymore at the inquest. He said that there were no traces upon the ground round the body. He did not observe any, but I did. Some little distance off, but fresh and clear. Footprints? Footprints. A man's or a woman's? Mr. Holmes. 
They were the footprints of a gigantic hound. You saw this, and you said nothing? How was it no one else saw it? Well, the marks were some twenty yards from the body. No one gave them a thought. There are many sheepdogs on the moor? Oh, this was much bigger than any sheepdog. But it had not approached the body. What kind of night was it? Damp and raw. But not actually raining. What is the area like? There are two lines of old yew hedge, twelve feet high, impenetrable. The walk in the centre is about eight feet across. I understand that the yew hedge is penetrated at one point by a gate which leads on to the moor. Was the wicket gate closed, and how high was it? Closed and padlocked. And it was about four feet in height. Anyone could have got over it. Sir Charles had evidently stood there for about five or ten minutes. Had he indeed? Mm. How do you know that? Because the ash had twice dropped from his cigar. Excellent. This is a colleague, Watson, after our own heart. Oh. But the marks? Well, he had left his own marks all over that small patch of gravel. I could discern no others. <sighs> if only I had been there. That gravel page upon which I might have read so much has been long ere this smudged by the rain and defaced by the clogs of curious peasants. But, Mr. Holmes, there is a realm in which the most acute and most experienced of detectives is helpless. Do you mean that you, a trained man of science, believe the thing to be supernatural? I find that before the terrible event occurred, several people had seen a creature upon the moor which corresponds with this Baskerville demon, and which could not possibly be any animal known to science. They all agreed. It was a huge creature, but luminous, ghastly, and spectral. Yet you must admit that the footmark is material. The original hound was material enough to tug a man's throat out, and yet he was diabolical as well. I see that you have quite gone over to the supernaturalists. But now, Dr. Mortimer, tell me this. If you hold these views, why have you come to consult me at all? I desire you to advise me as to what I should do with Sir Henry Baskerville, who arrives at Waterloo Station in uh, exactly one hour and a quarter. He being the heir. There is no other claimant. On the death of Sir Charles, we inquired for this young gentleman and found that he had been farming in Canada. Henry is the last of the Baskervilles. But surely, if your supernatural theory be correct, it could work the young man evil in London as easily as in Devonshire. A devil with merely local powers, like a parish vestry, would be too inconceivable a thing. You put the matter more flippantly, Mr. Holmes, than you would probably do if you were brought into personal contact with these things. Your advice, then, as I understand it, is that the young man will be as safe in Devonshire as in London. Well, he comes in 50 minutes. What would you recommend? I recommend, sir, that you take a cab and proceed to Waterloo. And then you will say nothing at all of this until 10 o'clock tomorrow, Dr. Mortimer, when I will be much obliged if you will call upon me here, bringing Sir Henry Baskerville with you. Very well. I will do so, Mr. Holmes. Watson, you might see Dr. Mortimer down. When you pass Bradley's, would you ask him to send up a pound of the strongest shag tobacco? Thank you. It would be as well if you could make it convenient not to return before evening. Cold, Watson. No, it's this poisonous atmosphere. Let me open a window. <coughs> oh. 
You've been at your club all day, I perceive. My dear Holmes, how in... There is a delightful freshness about you, Watson, which makes it a pleasure to exercise any small powers which I possess at your expense. A gentleman goes forth on a showery and miry day. He returns immaculate in the evening, with the gloss still on his hat and his boots. He has been a fixture, therefore, all day. He is not a man with intimate friends. Where, then, could he have been? Is it not obvious? Well, it is rather obvious, and I see two empty coffee pots, not to mention the clouds of smoke and this empty tobacco pouch. Am I to conclude that you have been a fixture also? In body only. <laughs> In spirit, I have been to Devonshire. After you left, I sent down to Stanford's for a large-scale ordnance map of this portion of the moor, and my spirit has hovered over it all day. I flatter myself that I could find my way about. That is Baskerville Hall in the middle. I fancy the U Alley, though not marked under that name, must stretch along this line, with the moor, as you perceive, upon the right of it. This small clump of buildings here is the hamlet of Grimpen, where our friend Dr. Mortimer has his headquarters. Within a radius of five miles, there are, as you see, only a very few scattered dwellings. There is a house indicated here which may be the residence of the naturalist. Stapleton, if I remember right, was his name. Here are two moorland farmhouses, Hightor and Falmire. Then, fourteen miles away, the great convict prison of Princetown. Between and around these scattered points extends the desolate, lifeless moor. Of course, if Dr. Mortimer's surmise should be correct, and we are dealing with forces outside the ordinary laws of nature, there is an end of our investigation. But we are bound to exhaust all other hypotheses before falling back upon that one. That change in the footprints, for example, what do you make of that? Well, Mortimer said that the man had walked on tiptoe down that portion of the alley. Why should a man walk on tiptoe down the alley? No, he was running, Watson. Running desperately running for his life, running until he burst his heart and fell dead upon his face. Running from what? I am presuming that the cause of his fears came to him across the moor. If that were so, and it seems most probable, only a man who had lost his wits would have run from the house instead of towards it. Then again, whom was he waiting for that night? And why was he waiting for him in the yew alley rather than in his own house? You think that he was waiting for someone? The ground was damp and the night inclement. Is it natural that he should stand for five or ten minutes as Dr. Mortimer deduced from the cigar ash? But he went out every evening, Holmes. I think it unlikely that he waited at the Moorgate every evening. On the contrary, the evidence is that he avoided the moor. That night he waited there. It was the night before he made his departure for London. The thing takes shape, Watson. It becomes coherent. The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle